might like to be turning to Acts chapter 2. If you haven't got a Bible and would like to borrow one, please put your hands up and one will come out to you. And the words of um, many of the passages that I'm going to refer to will appear on the screen as well behind me. So you've also got that option. I'm so encouraged to hear that word from John just now, saying the rain's coming, the rain's coming. And um, many of you will know that we've been preaching, as I've been preaching, we've been looking through um, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And we will continue to do that in future weeks when I'm preaching. But I really felt over the last few weeks um, to take a, a week out of that. Uh, this week, and look at Acts chapter 2. Um, and, then I, and then I also realized um, we, don't, we don't tend to follow the church calendar so much as maybe other traditional churches, denominational churches, but today is Pentecost Sunday, and I was encouraged that it was Pentecost Sunday, and God was encouraging us, me to speak on Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Spirit, and then right at the end there, John who obviously doesn't, didn't have a clue what I was going to be preaching on. I only told Dan um, about 20 past 10. Um, <laughs> but John's there saying, yeah, the rain is coming. Let's come with expectation of God speaking to us this morning, not just speaking to us through his word, but meeting us and moving amongst us powerfully by his Holy Spirit. So at Acts chapter 2, we, we're going to get to that in a minute. So kind of keep your finger in it, but we're going to kind of track back a little bit before them because I want to look at what impact Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, had on the disciples, especially Peter. And um, we're going to see that what happened on that day in history proved to be a massive turning point in the life of those disciples and at the start of the church, it kick-start the church. And I want to then go on and look at what implications that has for us 2,000 years later. So we're going to track back before Acts 2, first of all, and then we're going to look forward after Acts 2. Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus' disciples around that time, though? Around the time of Jesus' death and resurrection and then ascension into heaven and then Pentecost time. What an amazing time to be living in, to be around Jesus, Um, but also quite an emotional roller coaster of a time, I guess, as well. All sorts of things going on. Jesus' disciples were ordinary, everyday people, on the whole uneducated, and they'd been with Jesus for three wonderful years, seeing him do amazing things. They'd seen Jesus healing people. All sorts of different people, raising people from the dead, setting people free from bondage, demons being cast out, doing amazing miracles, feeding 5,000 people and then men and then 4,000 others, other people there as well, uh, with just a few loaves and fishes, Um, walking on water, turning water into wine, any number of other different miracles. And John says um, there's even more things that were done by Jesus that, that weren't even recorded and couldn't fill all the books that would ever be written. Each day that these disciples were with Jesus, these group of men who Jesus had called, each day there was something wonderful, something new, something miraculous. They were with God. They were with God and God was moving in their lives and around them. It must have been amazing. And then one day, one day, comes the time that's recorded in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, when it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. What a shock to the system. Three years on, day by day, what's going to happen today? What amazing miracles are going to happen today? What teaching is Jesus going to bring today? And the teaching that he brings today is, I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. I'm not going to be with you any longer at that point. And Jesus' disciples have to come to terms with it. How did they cope? 
Well, we can see how Jesus, how Peter, for a start, struggled. Uh, it says in verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> wow. How dare he re- rebuke Jesus, the Son of God. But he dared. Because Peter is one of those guys who dared do a lot of things. He rebuked him. Lord, never. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Wow. Oh, that would have crushed him, wouldn't it? Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Peter was probably all buoyed up. It was only fairly recently that Jesus had said to him, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And Peter would have been, yeah, I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm I'm the guy. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. But surely it's a natural reaction. Surely it's a natural reaction of Peter and any of the disciples. Their Lord and their master is going. They've been with God for three years and now he is leaving them. Peter reacts in an understandable way, but he gets it wrong. He gets it so wrong. Jesus says in verse 23, You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. He sums it up in a sentence. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You're thinking in a worldly way. You're thinking about what's best for you. You don't want me to go, but you've not got the big picture. You don't understand things from God's perspective. And often God's perspective is wholly different from our perspective. It's totally turned on its head. You see, the Holy Spirit has not yet been poured out. So so Peter is just a man. He's just a man who happens to have been hanging out with God. But he's still just a man. He doesn't think the way that God thinks, even though he's been hearing Jesus' teaching for three years. He doesn't act the way that God would act. Without the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we can be in the same situation. We can be hanging out with God, following Jesus, But we can be thinking the way that men think, the way that humans think, thinking on a worldly perspective, not having the perspective of God, not seeing those things in mind. And this this keeps on being the pattern for Peter. He keeps on getting things wrong and messing things up. Now, we're not going to have time to to read all of the passages, but I'll I'll try and refer to where they are along the way. Um, But we'll see time and again from this point, Peter just messing things up. So at the Last Supper, Jesus goes out, and he goes out to betray Jesus. And then at that point, Peter says, Jesus, you know, I'm never going to leave you. In Matthew 26, 33, I'm never going to leave you, Jesus. I'm always going to stand by you. And once again, Jesus knows Peter's heart. He says, well, you know, you may have that. You may have that. You may think that's the case. But before the night's out, you're going to deny even knowing me. You're going to say you never even knew me. And then after the Last Supper in in Matthew 26, Jesus goes out into the Garden of Gethsemane. And he takes Peter and James and John with him. He takes them a little further along and the other disciples. And he says, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? I'm in anguish. I need to go and, and, and pray to my Heavenly Father. Will you stand with me? Will you pray? And yet this guy, this great man, I'm with you, Jesus, falls asleep. He falls asleep. He can't even stay awake. Jesus comes back. Wake up. Can you not even stay awake? Can you not even pray with me for one hour? Oh, his, his intentions were good. But he just couldn't do it. The flesh got the better of him. He's, oh, I'm tired. Oh, it's just too much. Too much to me to take. I'm just going to fall asleep. And then Judas comes. Judas comes with the, with the guards. And they, and they arrest him. They arrest Jesus, and Peter and the rest of the disciples, they flee, they scatter. But not before Peter, again, gets it badly wrong, gets his sword, chops off the ear of the servant of the high priest. God, this, this can't happen. Again, Jesus has to say to him, no, Jesus, no, Peter, it's not the way. That's not the way. 
reaches out and heals him. But Peter gets it badly wrong again. And then Peter goes into the courtyard in anguish, in turmoil. What's going on? And the, and the, and the people come up to him. The servant girl comes up to him. You were one of them, weren't you? Weren't you one of Jesus' followers? No, not me. No, I never knew him. No, I'm not with him. You must be mad. You must be mad to think I knew him. I don't don't know him. Nothing to do with me. Only a few hours after saying, I'll never leave you. I'll never desert you. Oh yeah, full of good intentions. But just a man. Just a man full of grief and anguish and confusion and fear and then someone's challenging him oh no not something else I don't need this I don't need it it's all too much all too much for Peter can you imagine what was going on in his head can you imagine how messed up he would have been he stands at a distance and sees his lord and master crucified He's not even been able to say anything to him since saying, I don't even know you. Oh, what's going on in this man's head? And then Jesus is crucified. And then three days later, on the third day, on Easter, on the Easter Sunday, the women go and they find the empty tomb. And they hear from the angels that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so they go and tell the disciples. Peter and the rest of the disciples. But Luke um, 24, verse 9 says, The disciples don't believe them. But he said, Because their words seemed like nonsense to them. What are you talking about, women? It, it, you're mad. The words seemed like nonsense. But Jesus has already told them. He's already told them in this passage where, G, where Peter said, No, it must never happen. Jesus has already said it's going to happen. He will die, but on the third day he will be raised again. And the women are coming and saying, he's gone, he's raised from the dead, the angels have told me. And instead of the disciples going, that's what Jesus said would happen. The disciples are going, you're talking mad. It's nonsense, it can't be right. But he's already told them. Peter runs to the tomb. Let's look and see what he does. Luke 24. Peter goes to the tomb to check it out. And in Luke 24, um, and verse, verse uh, 12, it says, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. He saw them. Surely that's going to convince him. Surely that's going to be the time when he says, this is it. He's back. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. So he's heard Jesus saying it's going to happen. He's heard the women say Jesus is risen from the dead. And he goes and he sees the empty tomb and he sees the cloth and he's like, what's going on here then? I don't don't get it. He's, He's not been filled with the Spirit. He's just a man. He's just a man who's in turmoil. He's been hanging out with God. But he's in turmoil. He doesn't know what's going on. And then Jesus appears to them. Later on in Luke 24. He appears to them. And instead of the disciples going, Jesus, you're back. It's true what you said. They're like, it's a ghost. (laughs) What? They just don't get it. And then in the 40 days after Jesus had been raised from the dead, Jesus appears to them. He finally convinces them. He appears to them on a number of occasions. But but Peter and the disciples, they're still getting it wrong. You know, at the end of John's gospel, they're having a meal and and, and fishing. and, And Jesus has a meal with them and has some fish. And then he says to Peter, Simon Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter goes, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I love you. And he asked three times, do you love me? And in the end, Peter gets a bit, a bit cross and a bit upset about it. He says, verse 17 of John 21, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? 
He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. But he's, he's hurt. He What's going on? Why are you asking me these things? Don't you know I love you? Well, you denied me a, <laughs> only a few days ago. You know, but, yeah, okay. And then into Acts. Acts chapter 1. You think things might get better in Acts chapter 1. This is Acts. This is the new book. But it's still before the Spirit comes. And Jesus is meeting with them. And it says on... Um, it says in, in verse 3, it says, After his suffering, he showed them, uh, himself to these men, gave themselves many convincing proofs that he was alive. He had to give many convincing proofs that he was alive, because otherwise they were like, it's a ghost again. No, it's not. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, spoke to them about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, when he was eating with them, he gave this command, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father's promised, which you've heard me speak about. Remember? You've heard me speak about it before. Do you remember back then? For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he's already told them about this. You can read about it in John's Gospel and other places. He's already told them he's, he's going to go and he's going to baptize them with the Holy Spirit. And so, but they still don't get it. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're thinking, you know, big, big military push. Is that what you're going to do now? Jesus is like, no. No, I'm not going to do that. They still think it's all about that. Jesus had said in John 14, 18, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But he wasn't talking about this 40-day period after he'd raised, been raised from the dead. He wasn't talking about them. They maybe thought he was. But no, then, straight after that, Jesus ascends to heaven. Verse 9, after this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. You know, they, he's, he said to them, he said to them they're going to be witnesses, but then he's raised to heaven, and they're looking up to heaven. What's going on now then? What's this all about? And the angel has to come uh, and say, why are you standing staring into the sky? He'll come back eventually. He'll come back, yeah, to judge all men, but he's promised you the Holy Spirit. He didn't, he didn't say that. He said that. But that's what he's promised. He's promised the Holy Spirit. And so they think, okay, okay. He's told us to go to Jerusalem. We'll go to Jerusalem. So off they go to Jerusalem. And they, and they hide out in an upstairs room for 10 days. Probably because they're still scared. See, Jerusalem probably wasn't the place they wanted to be. That's where it all kicked off. That's where Jesus had been arrested and killed. That's where they'd been hiding. And so they're not going to really want to be in Jerusalem. But they go because Jesus says, go to Jerusalem. And so they're up in an upstairs room and they're praying for 10 days. They're praying and they're waiting and they're praying and they're waiting. And then in Acts chapter 1 and verse 15, it says, Peter stood up among the believers. And he stands up and, and, he's, and he says something which is quite strange really he says he starts talking about how scripture had to be fulfilled and um, he says look we need to get someone to replace Judas we've got to get someone to replace Judas as one of the apostles and he and he quotes a couple of psalms which if you read those psalms you think what's he on about those psalms are nothing to how do you get from those psalms to we need to replace Judas but, but he, he does, he stands up, well, we need to replace Judas. Um, well, God did have plans to, to bring another apostle about, and that was, uh, and that was Paul. But Jesus, Peter's saying, oh, it needs to be someone who's been with us, who's been with Jesus. Well, Paul wasn't. Paul wasn't with them at all. God's got other plans. Anyway, they end up choosing two, and they, and they decide to cast lots, and they, and they choose Matthias. Oh, Matthias, he's going to be the next apostle. Well, we never hear of him again, do we? It's kind of all a bit strange. Once again, I would argue that Peter doesn't have the mind of God at this point. I would argue that when Peter's saying we need to choose someone else to replace Judas, he's, just, he's probably been sitting around for about 10 days thinking, what's going to happen next? And then thinking, well, maybe we need to make something happen. Maybe it's because there's only 11 of us. Maybe there needs to be 12 of us. I've found this bit in the Psalms. This seems to say, oh, there's a line about replacing someone. Okay, well, maybe we should replace Judas. Let's, let's choose a couple of people. Well, you were with him. Well, let's cast lots about it. He's, just, he's kind of making it up as he goes along. 
He's making it up as he goes along. He doesn't have in mind the things of God. God's got great plans. The Holy Spirit's about to be poured out. Paul is about to be stopped miraculously in his tracks and commissioned. Someone who hated God. Someone who hated Jesus, sorry. But he's going to be the one, not Matthias. This is all before the Holy Spirit comes. Peter is a fantastic example of what Christian life is like outside of moving in the power of the Spirit. I wonder, do we recognize any of that? Do we recognize any of that in ourselves? Not understanding the things that God's doing in our life. Having the desire to pray, but then sleep getting the better of us. Wanting to stand up for Jesus in front of other people, in front of our friends and our neighbors and our work colleagues. But when it comes to it, just being scared about what they might say or what they might do or what they might think of us. Or pressing ahead, gung-ho with what we feel is right. Yeah, this must be the right way to go. But just because we're frustrated with what's going on at the time, that nothing seems to be happening, let's make something happen. Only for time to prove that we've not heard God after all. Or misunderstanding what God says in our lives or does in our lives. Struggling to understand the word of God. Just feeling maybe we get it wrong all the time. And maybe lacking any joy in praising God. That's a description of life outside of the spirit. You know, we can say, yeah, I've given myself to God. I love God. I'm, I'm with God. But you know, if we don't have the Holy Spirit in our lives, that can be the sort of Christian life we end up trying to lead. And we can just get frustrated. And we can just get confused. If you feel like that, you're in good company. Because Peter was the man who Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. Jesus had great plans for Peter. Jesus got great plans for us. But it's just he wasn't filled with the Spirit. Because when the Spirit comes, everything changes. When the Spirit comes, we, we, we receive the power of God. We receive the mind of God. We can understand things better. We can under, better understand the Word of God. We can hear God speaking to us. We can have the power of God in our lives. When Jesus had the disciples with him, he just had to correct them all the time when they got it wrong, which was lots. Or you might be forgiven for thinking, actually, it was all the time. Whether they were arguing about who was the greatest or whether when children were coming to see Jesus, they were telling them to go away because Jesus wouldn't be interested. Or whether in the storm and Jesus was asleep on the boat, they were scared that Jesus was going to let them drown. Or whether Jesus had to bail them out because they decided they were going to try some of this themselves and they were going to go out and cast demons out of people. And actually the, the father of someone came and said, they've made it worse, Jesus. Can you sort this mess out? There's all sorts of messes that Jesus had to sort out. And without Jesus, goodness me, they're in desperate trouble, aren't they? They're in absolutely desperate trouble. But Jesus promises in Acts 1 verse 8 to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. I bet they were thinking, not there, anywhere but there. But you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. So what happens? Acts chapter 2. Let's read from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each of them heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, they're not these men who are speaking Galileans. Then how is it how each of us hears them in their own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? 
somehow ever made fun of them and said they'd had too much wine. We'll pick that up again in a minute. Suddenly, suddenly the disciples are drawing attention to themselves. They're not hiding out in a room anymore. They're not scared anymore that what people might think. Actually, they're drawing a crowd. They're drawing a crowd because they're speaking in all sorts of different languages. The Holy Spirit has come and filled them and enabled them to speak in these different languages. And, and they don't care. Some, of them, some people are thinking that they're drunk, but they don't care because they're suddenly full of the joy of the Holy Spirit. And this is a sign that, that God's reaching out to different nations around the world. It's a, it's a wonder that people are thinking, what's going on? So they've pulled a crowd in. Now in the past, when a crowd had gathered, Peter would have been like, I don't want to know about this. You know, certainly after Jesus had been arrested, I don't want to know about this, I'm going to back off. But now, Peter stands up. And up until this point, anyone watching on, when Peter stands up, would have been thinking, oh no. What's going, what's he going to say now? Because he just gets it wrong. And we don't want him to get it wrong now because there's all these guys here from everywhere else. And no, Peter stands up. And there's no longer any fear, even though some people are making fun of them. And he begins to preach. It says, verse 14, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men, they're not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he went on and, and explained about uh, who Jesus was and how he died and referred to the scriptures. And here he is, this man Peter, preaching, explaining what it's all about. He's the guy who a few weeks ago had gone to the tomb, even though Jesus had said, I'm going to rise from, rise from the dead. Even though the women had said, he's risen from the dead. Even though he goes and sees the, the cloths in the tomb, and he's like going, I don't get it. I just don't get it. And then suddenly, the Holy Spirit's poured out, and no longer is he going, I don't get it. And people are saying, what's going on? And he knows exactly what's going on. And he knows exactly what Old Testament passages to quote. Because God's telling him. And he's not coming up with some vague line in a psalm about something which doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. Um, about choosing some other person. He's saying, no, this is what Joel said. And he's got it spot on. Because it is what Joel was talking about. It is what he was talking about. He knows everything that was going on. No more dodgy exegesis. And he's not had any time to prepare this message. He's not been working on it for 10 days before he stands up and says, now I think Psalm so-and-so says we should choose. No. He's preaching the gospel powerfully, explaining that this is what God has been planning all along, going right back to the start, going right back through the scriptures, saying, look, this is Jesus is who was promised. Joel promised the Spirit's going to be poured out and people are going to be prophesying and people are going to be doing signs and wonders but God's going to be doing amazing things and people who call on God's name will be saved. The Holy Spirit has filled him and is giving him wisdom and boldness and the words to speak and real power and at the end of his message People say, well, what shall we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. And 3,000 people say, yes, we will. Wow. 3,000 people responding to a message which was unprepared. But God was speaking powerfully through Peter. 
And from that point on, in the rest of Acts, we see it go on. We see signs and wonders being performed, Acts 2, verse 43. Everyone filled with awe, many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Acts 3, Peter walking to the temple with John. See a man who's been crippled since birth, and he, he's asking for money. And they say, well, we can't give you any money, but what we can do, we will give you. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And he does. Miracles, straight away, walking. And then they're talking about Jesus. They're proclaiming Jesus boldly and fearlessly. They get called in before the authorities in Acts chapter 4. And uh, in the past, that would have been it. Oh, no, we don't want to know anything else. And the, and the authorities, the Sanhedrin, say, will you stop preaching Jesus? Stop it. And they say, and they say we can't. We can't do anything else. We can only speak about what we've seen and heard. Well, they'd seen, some, they'd seen and heard some amazing things when they were with Jesus, hadn't they? But, but the, there was you know, nothing persuading them to talk about it then, after Jesus had been, had been killed. And even after he'd been raised from the dead, they were still hiding out. They weren't talking about what Jesus had done before. They were hiding out. But now, nothing can stop them. We can't help it. Why? What's the difference? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwelling within them. They they go back to the others and 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 they tell them what's been said. And they pray that God will stretch out his hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders. And the whole place where they were meeting was shaken. And it affects their relationships together. Now there's no longer arguments about who's the best, who's the greatest. Acts 4.32 says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. They shared everything they had. They weren't saying who was the best, who was the greatest, who should be the nearest to Jesus. It's like, no, we're all in this together. Oh, we're sharing everything together. It's transformed their relationships. The power of the Holy Spirit living and working through those who love and follow Jesus. They're living their lives, hearing God, knowing what to say in situations, even though they, they don't know what's going to happen beforehand. But in the, in the moment, they're hearing from God. They're speaking truth. They speak, their words have power. They're not fearful. They're seeing people set free from sickness. They're seeing people delivered from that which binds them. What a difference. What a difference. Talk about before and after. Talk about a makeover. Goodness me. An amazing difference when the Holy Spirit comes. And the question we ask ourselves today is what about us? Is this just something that we can look at in God's Word and say, well, that's amazing? That's amazing the difference that happened. Oh, look at that, yeah. I can see how the church started. I can see how it all happened. Oh, that's very interesting. Is that what we're to take from this? I would say categorically, no. Because in Acts chapter 2, it's part of this message that Peter is anointedly bringing on the day of Pentecost. Peter says, Repent and be baptized, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Spirit. It's not just for the apostles. It's not just for those who are with him. You will receive the gift of the Spirit. And then he goes on. The promise is for you and your children and for those who are far off. And he doesn't just mean those who are living a long way off. He explains, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This Holy Spirit which has been poured out into the apostles and those who followed him into their lives, is freely available for those of us who love Jesus. It was available to those on that day. If you repent and you're baptized in the name of Jesus, you'll get the Holy Spirit as well. Jesus will be living with you. And not just you, your children. And not just them, their children, and their children, and their children. And in fact, everyone who God is going to save will receive this Holy Spirit. And it won't be diluted down. It's not like we get the sort of concentrate version 
And everyone else gets the slightly watered-down version until 2,000 years later, oh, we just get a little bit. Well, that's okay. It's better than nothing. You know, it helps us a little bit. No, no it's the same Holy Spirit which is poured out to us. We can expect, brothers and sisters, the same power in our lives today. We can expect that. And I guess the big question is, when we look at our lives and when we look at our church, do we see it? Do we have this same power? In Acts chapter 19, Paul who has been called by Jesus at this point to be an apostle. Paul goes to Ephesus and he sees some disciples. And he can immediately see that there's little evidence of the life and joy of the Spirit. In fact, they hadn't really understood that much about Jesus either. But he he finds some disciples in verse uh, 1. And then he says, and he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul said, well, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That's Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There was about 12 men in all. So Paul's seeing that he can go to places where people are thinking, yeah, we're believers, we're disciples. They haven't quite understood it all, but they've certainly not heard about the Holy Spirit. And he can tell straight away, there's no Holy Spirit life here. Now he's seen what it is. He knows what it is to be full of the Spirit. And he's he's seeing other people. He's thinking, "Mm, I'm not so sure about you. I'm going to ask a question. Did you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so today I would ask people here the same question. And there'll be many different responses, I'm sure. But let me ask the question to you, individually. Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now maybe like these people, these disciples in Ephesus, you actually haven't fully understood what the gospel is. You've, you've thought that it was all, you know, Christianity was all about doing the right thing. They'd understood it as that. Oh, we, okay, we, John's baptism, yeah, we're repenting of the bad things we've done. Well, that must be it then. You know, we don't, don't do bad things. And Paul's saying to them, no, no, it's not about that. It's about more than that. It's about Jesus. And he probably explained to them about Jesus dying for them. He probably explained to them about forgiveness of sins, how Jesus was punished for the sins that we uh, had, had, had done. For our sinfulness, he, his, the punishment went on him. So that we could go free. We could receive. It was like a bit of a a swap. We received the righteousness that Jesus had. The purity. The holiness that Jesus has. And they. uh, and, And Jesus receives the punishment for their sin. And that's the same for us. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking. Oh I didn't know that. Yeah well. That's the truth. You can come into that today. You can, you, can, you can have your sins forgiven today. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is repent, turn away from them and say, actually, God, I believe you, can for, you forgive me for this because you, Jesus was punished. And then you can go on and be baptized in the Spirit. You can receive this power today. Well, don't I have to wait a few weeks? Don't I have to wait a while? No. These believers received it straight away. Well, maybe there's evidence that some received it later on. Some were filled with the Spirit and baptized with the Spirit at a later date. But for, but for these people, these men in Ephesus, no, straight away, same day. It's a serious question. Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit when you believed? If your answer is no, or I don't think so, or I'm not sure, then why not receive it today? Because you can. Because God is here. And God will pour out his Holy Spirit. And he says, he's promised. It's for you. It's for all who believe. You can know his power within you. Maybe you've been at a church that hasn't actually taught this. You know, some churches teach that once you become a Christian, then you've already received the Holy Spirit at the time when you were converted. And so that's it. You kind of get it all in one package. 
You, you come, you, you genuinely repent, you respond to Jesus, you receive forgiveness. You're a Christian, you know God. But those churches will teach, and, you've, and you receive the Holy Spirit, and that's it. And, and then from then on, off you go. The great Martin Lloyd-Jones challenged his hearers on that point, on those who believe that, famously. And he said this, I'm not going to do the accent, but he said this, Got it all? Well, if you've got it all, I simply ask in the name of God, why are you like you are? If you've got it all, why are you so unlike New Testament Christians? Got it all? Got it all at your conversion? Well, where is it? I ask. And who would argue with Martin Lloyd-Jones? The Bible doesn't teach that we get it all at conversion. Some, ter- some churches teach that the Holy Spirit's for those who are mature in the faith, those who are living more holy lives devoted to God. So you've got to get your life sorted out. You've got to start living a holy lifestyle. You've got to start making the effort yourself. And once you become more mature, it's almost like, you know, once you get, once you get rid of the sin, right, I'm going to get rid of this bit of sin, right, that's gone, I've dealt with that now, oh, good, Holy Spirit can fill that little bit, right? Okay, now I'll get rid of another gap in my life. Right, that's gone now. Issues with, um, I don't know, um, whatever it might be, worldliness, right? That's gone, right? Holy Spirit, in a bit more now, right? Lust, oh, got rid of that one, right? Lust, right, Holy Spirit. No, it's not, it's, it's not like that either. None of it stacks up to what we see in Acts. It's not about us trying our best to become better. God promises us power. Jesus, Peter, Peter, Tried all he liked to get it right. He was wanting to get it right. You can't fault his heart. He wasn't lying when he said, Jesus, I will never deny you. He truly believed it. He just didn't have the power to do it. And we can truly say, oh, God, I'm going to follow you forever. I'm going to, I die for you, God. I do this for you. I'm not, you know, I love you so much. Oh, how can I, how can I ever look at those magazines again, you know, or, or whatever it is? How could I do that? But if we've not got the power, we can have full of good intentions. But we've not got the power and strength to do it. The Bible doesn't say we have to go through that. Peter and the other disciples, they weren't mature. Yeah, they spent three years with Jesus. They needed the power of God. Jesus said to them, you're going to be my witnesses to the world. But he says, don't start the work until you're clothed with power from on high. They could have said, right, great, you're off, Jesus. We're going to be witnesses to you. Those 10 days, they could have been, right, that's our job. Off we go. We're going to start telling people about Jesus. Jesus knows it's going to all fall apart if they do that. He says, don't do it. Don't do it until you're clothed with power from an eye. Just wait. Because the Holy Spirit's not been poured out. Well, we don't have to wait because the Holy Spirit has been poured out. But we do have to be filled with it, with the Holy Spirit. He has to come and live within us. If we, if we think we can live a Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit giving us this power and strength, we are deluded. And we will, we will fail Time and time again, and we will just get frustrated. We need to be clothed with power from on high. Are we keen to be filled with this power of God on an ongoing basis? Because we need to keep coming back and being filled again. Knowing that any work that we do apart from that will be feeble and in our own strength. And I know that I personally have been challenged by this. Even as I've been preparing and thinking about this, I just think, oh, how often... Do I just think, I can do this. I'm just going to go. I'm going to live my life. I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go here and do this and speak to this person. And, and I don't even go to God and say, God, I need your power. I need your strength. We need, we need filling by the Holy Spirit constantly, being refreshed, being full of the Holy Spirit so that we can work and move in that strength. Even if we've been baptized in the Spirit in the past, we can so easily see the the Spirit as an optional extra in our lives. We can even become a little bit wary. Oh yeah, we can be happy coming to a 
so-called charismatic church because the songs are modern and they're, they're played with a good worship band. We might even clap along to the songs. Who knows? We'd probably draw the line at dancing um, uh, and we, we would maybe be uncomfortable if people spoke in tongues. Um, yes, we might be a bit concerned, especially if we brought a guest. We might be a bit concerned about what people would think of us. You know, we don't want to stand out. We don't want to, we don't want to look too you know, uh, different in any way. To be honest, I think that's why many people go to churches which do downplay the role of the Spirit or say that the gifts of the Spirit aren't for today. Um, it may well be that the leaders of those churches hold uh, sincerely held theological arguments and reasonings for it. But I think many people might just choose to go to those churches because actually to go to a church where the Spirit's working and moving is just a little bit too uncomfortable, a bit too distasteful, a little bit too un-British. And we don't We're very concerned about what people will think of us. But brothers and sisters, this isn't what God's called us to. We can easily lower our expectations about what the Christian life is meant to be like. We can persuade ourselves and just think this is normal Christian life. But what God has called us to is the kind of Christianity that we see in the book of Acts. We're we're rightly keen, we're rightly keen to avoid the excesses of teaching When people teach that, okay, we lay hands on people and everyone will be healed. And if you're not healed, then it's your own fault. You know, or some sin in your life and things like that. Well, that's horrible. And we don't want to be putting that on people. And so, you know, we we don't want to say, you definitely will be healed. And, and, well, if you're not, well, that's, that's, that's your problem. Just go away and deal with that. Look, we're not doing that. But we can so easily go to the other extreme that we, we actually think it's unlikely people will be healed. So even if a word of knowledge comes, I mean, we may be praying for people. We probably will be praying for people at the end because um, certainly Ginny's got some words of knowledge that she felt earlier in the meeting. Others may have to, even if it's not words of knowledge, it doesn't matter, but we're going to pray for people to be healed. And we can come and just think, oh yeah, but it probably won't. It probably won't be healed. Because we're keen to avoid the excess the other way. But, you know, we doubt God. We doubt that God's going to do something. If people give testimonies about healing, we might go, ah, oh, yeah, but it could have been that. We've got this skepticism going on in our minds. In the Gospels, we read and Acts, we read about people instantly being set free from things which bind them. And yet we, we don't tend to believe that that's going to happen for us. If we're struggling with something, we, we feel a bit more comfortable going for Christian counseling. Oh, let's go and chat these things through and and see things work out over time. But it may well be that God wants to come and set you free from something immediately. Maybe even today. Let's believe that God... This is the God who's got the power of the Holy Spirit who created the whole earth. Do we believe that God can heal depression instantly if he chooses to? Do we believe that God can set us free from addiction to drugs or alcohol or nicotine? Do we believe that God can heal the hurts which we've been carrying over years? Do we think it's going to have to be a long drawn out process? Well, for some it may be, but, but it doesn't have to be because God can deal with things instantly. Brothers and sisters, the power of the Holy Spirit can overcome these and many, many other issues today. This is the power of the living God who created everything and is in the business of recreating. Let's just sum up. In John chapter 7, Jesus stands up at the Feast of Tabernacles. And in verse 37, he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit. That's what he said. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And if you believe in me, scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within you. Are you thirsty today? Are you thirsty today for the Holy Spirit? Does the flesh always get the better of you? Do you lack courage? Do you struggle to understand God's word? Are you lacking in the joy 
of your salvation and in God? Well, the answer is this. Come to Jesus today and drink this living water. Do you realize the people who heard Jesus say that at that feast, they couldn't respond. He said on that day, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and streams of living water will flow. But they couldn't respond. John points it out. John points it out. He says, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the Spirit hadn't been given since Jesus hadn't been glorified. So if, they, if someone came and said, yes, Jesus, I'm thirsty. Pour this Spirit out into me. He'd have, he'd have probably said, in a bit. <laughs> Just wait until I've, I've died and been glorified. No, but it, we, don't, it, we don't have to have that. If we come to God today, he's not going to say, in a bit, maybe later, just get a few things sorted out first in your life, then come back. He's not going to say any of that. If we believe in him, if we've given our lives to him, streams of living water will flow. Our thirst will be quenched. If anyone is thirsty, if anyone is fed up of living a powerless Christian life, if anyone is tired of battling with fear of man, if anyone is sick of getting it wrong time and time and time again, if anyone is struggling to get anything out of the Bible, let him or her come to Jesus this morning and receive. And the promise is, streams of living water will flow from within. Why? Not because it's Pentecost Sunday, Because it's a promise that God has made to us. And every believer, it's God's gift to us. So that Jesus will himself be here powerfully with us by his spirit. It's Jesus. He's not left us as orphans. We don't just have to think, oh, that means Jesus is coming back at some given point in the future. No, he meant the spirit. He's not left us as orphans. He's coming and he'll come and be with us by his spirit, giving us the mind of God and the power of God. So let's come and receive everything that is on offer today.